Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 15 through to 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Well, very good evening to you. And if you've been here over the last few weeks, you know we're doing a, a series looking at the different prayers that Paul prays in his letters. And um, this is one that he prays, there's two in fact in Ephesians, but this is one of them. And um, we are um, going to be looking at that. So thank you, Patty, for reading that. Let's, let's pray for God's help as we, as we look at this. Father, would you please indeed open our eyes as we've just been singing. Open the eyes of our hearts. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better through your word. Please help us to be people who pray both uh, individually and uh, together as your people. And through that, would you build us up and encourage us as your people and equip us to live for you in your world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's our question for this evening. What does it look like to pray to a God who is so powerful that he is totally in control? totally in control that he's he's already decided what is going to happen totally in control that to the extent that he is intimately concerned with the details of our lives and the big picture of the entire universe and the world and where that's all heading is that a good thing does it help us pray well, in this um, reading that we've heard in front of us, do you see those first three words on page 1173? The, this prayer was, uh, that Paul outlines for us, he begins, for this reason. And uh, we, we had this two weeks ago when we were looking in, in 2 Thessalonians, another prayer, uh, where, uh, where Paul begins his prayer saying, for this reason I'm praying for you. And so it makes us look back and think, okay, well, well why is he praying? What is the reason he's praying? And verses 1 to 14, lay out, Paul lays out the cosmic scope of God's master plan for the universe and for his people. 
So he begins, can you look for me just briefly? There's, there's so much in these verses, but we're just going to look briefly at this first bit. But he begins in eternity past. So verses 4 and 5, can you see that? Before the creation of the world, it says he chose us. In love, he predestined us. So he begins before the creation of the world. And then he ends, verses 9 and 10, in eternity future, where everything is heading. Uh, with everything summed up under Jesus Christ, to bring unity in all things in heaven and on earth, under, under Jesus, it says, under Christ. God is in charge of all of it, from beginning to end. That's the big message of those verses. And so the question that people often have when they hear that in response to that is, well, hang on a minute then, where does our own sort of personal responsibility fit into that? And the striking thing is, that whenever the Bible holds out this truth that God is completely and utterly sovereign, that's the word, or, or, or totally in control, whenever it holds out that truth, it always simultaneously holds out the truth that we remain personally responsible for what we do. Now we go, well, hang on a minute, you know, how does that work? Well, God says, I'm God, and I'm telling you both the truth. I'm in charge, but the decisions that you make day by day are truly the ones that you personally want to make. And in that sense, you are held personally responsible for them. And so just before our reading, verses 11 to 14, have a look at that. He's talked again about predestination, and that means God deciding in advance what is going to happen. And do you see verse 11? He really spells it out. He says, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He's really sort of hammering at home, saying, look how, look at this. And then verse 13, he's talking about the Ephesian Christians hearing the gospel. Can you see that? And what do they do? They're believing and then receiving the Holy Spirit. So each of us, as we hear the gospel message today, still have to respond to it. We need to believe it. We need to put our faith in what we hear and build our lives on it. Both are true. God is in charge. We are responsible. That is always the Bible's logic. But a further question that we're going to focus on this evening then is this. What does that mean specifically for prayer? Because if God is so totally in charge that he's already decided what is going to happen, well, why do we need to pray at all? What's the point? And again, what we're going to see in these verses is that the Bible's logic is the opposite of ours. Paul's confidence in the total sovereignty of God in verses 3 to 14, that he's totally in charge, that confidence leads him directly to deep, confident, intimate prayer to God in verses 15 to 23. It's almost as if the more you are confident that God really is in control from eternity past to eternity future and over the big picture and the details, the more you're confident of that, the more you will pray with confidence. Okay, well, how does that work? Let's see what happens here. Verses 15 and 16, he gives thanks for them as he often does, but in, ver in the verses that follow, he prays for the Ephesians to know four things. Okay, so we're going to look briefly at those four things. You can follow on the, on the handout. Four things that he prays for the Ephesians. He prays, first of all, to know God better. So verse 17, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that 
you may know him better. So at the heart of Christian faith is not rules and rule keeping, but a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. Now, I enjoyed this cartoon which I found earlier this week. It's a bit silly, but it captures the privilege of Christian faith. Do you see the guy on the left? Are you related to anyone famous? Well, I don't want to brag, but I heard Dad calling God his father. There's the privilege that we get to call God father. And that shows us knowing God is different from just knowing about God. Knowing God is different from just knowing about God. You do need to know about God in order to know him, that's true. But there's an extra step that sets knowing God apart from just knowing about him. So let's think about this. The, the big blockbuster of the summer looks like it's going to be this film Oppenheimer. I don't know if you've seen the trailers for it. It's a kind of three-hour epic about J. Robert Oppenheimer, who is the nuclear physicist credited with developing the first nuclear weapons. And I have to say, I don't know a huge amount about Oppenheimer right now beyond what I've seen in the trailers. Um, but once I get to see the film, whenever that is, I really hope to know a little bit more about him. That's kind of the point, isn't it? But I'll never be able to say, I know him. Well, because he's dead for a start, doesn't help. But that's the point, isn't it? you'll, You'll know a lot about a person, but you don't know them personally. The thing is, some people approach God as if he's kind of the same, just a kind of character from history to be studied, but not a person you can actually know and be in relationship with. Now, the thing about Oppenheimer is, you know, he had the deadly power of nuclear weapons at his fingertips with, you know, terrifying, world-changing results. I think by all accounts, he's a pretty conflicted person. I'm not really convinced I'd really want to know him, even if I could. God is the sovereign ruler of the whole universe with way more power at his fingertips. But more than that, we know from what we from the way he's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, we can trust him. He is good. He is somebody worth knowing. We've been created to be in relationship with him. This is what we're here for. Well, how then can we actually know him? That is the question. Is there some sort of special technique that we need in in order to get access to him? Well, the answer is that it's not down to us to kind of climb up the ladder to him, to kind of find him out there in the the universe somewhere. Jesus has given us access to him. God has come down in Jesus. And then through his death, as he's died on the cross, um, uh, we are given access to God the Father. And now the Holy Spirit connects us to him by living in us and opening our eyes. And that's, do you see the... um, That in verses 17 and 18 talks about the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Revelation means making known. And pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That is is what happens. God has made it possible for us to know him. We don't have to go to him. He has come to us. 
So it's like, it's a bit like this. It's like when they come and set you up for broadband, although don't worry, it's, it's much better than that. But the point is, when they come and set you up for broadband, you don't need to know anything at all about kind of wiring and routers and all of that. You know, if, you, if, you, if that's your thing, great. But you don't need to. All you need to do is open the front door and let them come in and let them do their stuff, you know, to set up the connection and everything. And kind of 10 weeks later, after multiple teething problems, it all works brilliantly. Well, as I said, with God, it is even better. Because he does it all, you see. He comes to us in Jesus Christ. He, he, he puts in the connection through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. And the connection never drops. And that is why his sovereignty that we've been thinking about, him being in charge, is such good news. This is why we really need to grasp this. You see, a God who is not in total control... Well, you know, maybe the connection will drop. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. I need to find the right technique to connect him. It all comes down to me to kind of find God because he's not really totally in control. No, no, he has done everything. He's come to us and he's given the spirit to connect us to him. And so all, if you're a Christian, you just connect to the connection that is already there. You speak to God because you have that access. The connection has been made. You speak to him in prayer. And you see, there are Christians who don't really realize that that connection is there, or they don't make use of it. So we don't appreciate that the point of Christian faith is to connect us to the God who made us. So it can be like learning to use a muscle that you've never used before. To begin with, it's really hard and it feels unnatural. So as some of you know, in about 10 days' time, I'm going to be having an operation. I'm going to have, um, it's called a, a revision of a hip replacement that I've already had before. They're going to kind of upgrade it to a, a better model. And um, the, the point is with that, what they have to do, and I'm not going to go into too much detail here, don't worry if you're a bit squeamish, they're going to have to cut through muscle, okay? And when they do that, you suddenly basically are reduced to every step being absolutely impossible when you first get out of bed. So day one, um, I've done this twice before, so I do know what's coming. On day one, you're kind of learning to walk again, and it's a victory when you take one step, and if you make it to the end of the bed with, your, with the walking frame that the physios give you, then everybody cheers. That's, that's what it's like. But day two is a tiny bit easier. You might get sort of two bed lengths, the other side of the ward or whatever. Day three, even easier than that. And you go on day by day, building the strength in this muscle that's been cut through and then has to kind of start from zero all over again. We see knowing God in prayer can be a bit like that. If you're out of the habit of using this muscle, maybe you've not even realised it's, it's there. If you're out of the habit, it starts with baby steps. It starts with just saying, okay, I'm going to take two minutes. I'm going to take, I don't even have to think of the words. I'm going to use the words that God has given me to pray to him. So maybe the Lord's Prayer, one of the Psalms. Use those words if you want to start off with. And then think, well, as I pray that, what else does it prompt me to pray? Because I have that connection. He's made the connection. The, the, door, the, the line is open. Do that for two minutes. The next day, do it for three minutes. Build it up. Build the muscle. 
And as you do that, pray what Paul prays here, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And then pray that for everyone else you know. That is what Paul is doing here. Praying to know God better. Then, he prays, secondly, to, to know God's hope. Know the hope to which he's called you. Now, we thought about this two weeks ago in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, so we're not going to spend too much time thinking about this now. But our entire Christian lives are future-focused. Because chapter 1, verse 10 here, there's a day coming when everything will be united under the rule of Jesus Christ. And as we often say, hope in the Bible is different from what we say when we talk about our hopes and dreams for the future. Hope in the Bible is a certain thing. It's not an uncertain hope, like whether England will win the ashes or even whether it's going to be sunny tomorrow. You know, we just, you just don't quite know, do you? Um, and and uh, you might hope, but you don't know. But with Christian hope, it is certain from beginning to end. And that is because, again, because we have a sovereign God who is in control from beginning to end. That is the grounds of our certainty. And so, again, that is why God being in charge from beginning to end is such good news. Because the alternative is not being really sure if he's going to get his plan done. No, he will. And Paul prays for the Christians to know that hope, that sure and certain hope, because as we've seen before, it transforms everything now. So we can pray that as well for ourselves and for each other. But he continues then, pray to know God's riches, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now this is a phrase that needs a bit of unpacking. As you'll see, there's a, there's a sort of a bit of an explanation now on the screen, how valuable you are to God. Where do we get that from? Well, this inheritance, think about this. Just You're going to have to do some metaphorical walking with me as we, as we look at this. Okay? So engage brains. I know it's hot, but walk with me for a moment. What is this inheritance that God is going to give us? Well, it could be, or sorry, what is the inheritance that we see in this verse? It could be the inheritance that God is going to give us. It could be life with him in eternity. So maybe it's talking about that. Maybe it's just another way of talking about future hope. The, the, uh, the, 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 the riches of his inheritance in the saints. But if it's that, what is that phrase in his holy people about? The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What does that mean? It's a bit puzzling. Well, it could be, you see, that God instead sees us as his inheritance and that's what that word in is getting at the inheritance in his holy people and holy people is not some special subgroup of christians it's all christians the bible often speaks about god's people using that kind of word it just means set apart god's special people um, all every christian who's trusting in jesus now how do we know which it is because it's not, it's just looking at this verse, it's quite hard to say for certain either way. Well, when you face an ambiguity like that in the Bible, you look around in the context for clues about what it means. So there's a clue in verse 14, if you look back, where Paul describes God's people as his possession. And so there's that sense that because Jesus has died and risen from the dead... His, we have, those who trust in Jesus are his people who now belong to him. 
So in that sense, do you see, we are his inheritance. We are the fruit of what happens when Jesus comes into the world. And then if you fast forward to the end of uh, the, the reading that we heard, what we find is with a description of Jesus, who's been raised from the dead and seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and, and so on. And then verse 22, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And so, and then what is the, the church? Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so, again, the whole point of Jesus coming in and to the world and dying and rising and being raised up to where he is now is that he is the head, but he's a head with a body. The church, God's people, belong to him, to God. We are his possession, we are his inheritance. So it's an extraordinary thing that Paul keeps coming back to throughout this letter to the Ephesians. If, if we were going to read on, we'd see this. That, that the world thinks the church is, you know, kind of irrelevant, out of date, you know, sort of slightly silly group of people who like bell ringing and singing hymns and stuff like that for fun. And no, God says the church, his people, is at the heart of his cosmic sovereign plan for everything to be united under Christ. And so when he prays that they may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, but can you see the context is pointing us to hear that as us, the holy people, being the inheritance, which in turn means this bit of the prayer is a prayer to realise how valuable you are to God. To realise how valuable you are as the people of God to him. So when he counts his riches, he looks at his church worldwide through history, and they are the riches, the people that he bought through the death of his son. And in a world that constantly demands that we prove that we're good enough, that says to all of us, whoever we are, whatever we've done, you know, um, whether we're great or, or, or utterly insignificant in the world's eyes, this is saying to us, whoever we are, in God's eyes, you are his most valuable possession. You are his inheritance. And if you're a Christian, that means every other way of measuring or defining who you are and how much you are worth vanishes into total insignificance. If you're trusting Jesus, you belong to God. So you are valuable, you are loved, you are worth everything to God. Not because of anything in you or me, but because he sent his son to die. And so Paul prays that the Ephesians will know and believe that. What a prayer to pray. We need to pray that for ourselves because again in a world that tells you you've got to build your own identity and the pressure is on to find out who you are, to belong, to be relevant, to be valuable, to be good enough, you've got to perform, you've got to achieve, you've got to measure up. All of that can leave us feeling uncertain who am I really? Am I doing the wrong job? Am I in the wrong relationship or marriage? Am I living the wrong life? Well, if you're a Christian, you can be confident you are right where God wants you to be. And he says you matter and you are infinitely valuable to him. Of course, daily he wants us to turn from sin and put our trust in Jesus and follow him. Of course, he, he does say that to us. But he says you can be confident that you are valuable to him.
And so pray that we grasp that, even for the first time. If we've not yet put our trust in Jesus, and you're listening to this, and you're, you're hearing what Christians are, are called to pray, realize what an extraordinary thing it would be to know that you are this valuable to the God who made us. Any of us can, can know that simply by putting our trust in Jesus. That's what we're being called to do. And if we've already done that, pray that we keep grasping it and that those that we uh, around us might grasp it too. So pray to know God's riches, how valuable we are to God. And then finally, pray to know God's power. So what does he say, verse 19, to know his incomparably great power for us who believe? In the, again, in, in the world, we struggle with power, don't we? We don't trust those who have it. We fear it being misused. It can be a massive idol for us. For us. We want it. We'll do anything for it. So what kind of power is this that he talks about here? Is it a power to fear? Well, it's certainly the greatest power in the universe, but it's the power that took Jesus to the cross. It's the power that was exercised by giving it up. And it's the power, if you look, verse 20, that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. That is some power, isn't it? But think what it means. When we consider how God is in control over all our circumstances, our health, our livelihood, our families, our living situations, our joys and our sorrows, you know, we might be in the thick of something right now where we're kind of thinking, well, but if God is really in control of, of all of that, that, that kind of makes me feel worse, or it makes me wonder if I should feel worse about that. But actually, it's a lot easier to believe that it's good news that God is in control when you know that that same power with which he's in control is the power that sent Jesus to die and rise from the dead. It's for the church, verse 22. We saw this before. All this power, sending Jesus to die and rise from the dead, is for you and for me. Can you see that? Verse 19, that power is like, it's the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's for the church. What an extraordinary thing. Absolute sovereignty, absolute power is matched by absolute love, absolute commitment to the people who are his possession. For some people, the idea that God is in control and he has all power is a problem, it's a threat. But for the Christian, this is wonderful news. The, the world around us, as we, as we watch the, the news and listen to the headlines, it might feel out of control. Our own lives might feel out of control at times. But this is saying, no, you can rest in the God who is in control. And we say, no, hang on a minute, but even in the pain, even in the suffering, are you really saying that? Well, rest in the, in the God whose own son suffered the greatest pain and suffering and then rose from the dead to bring real hope for the future, to end suffering forever. Rest in that God who therefore we can trust even in the midst of whatever circumstances we might be in right now. That that power is there for his people. That he will preserve and sustain us. That he will keep us on the road that leads to life. That's always the goal, isn't it? Not to just make life easier in the here and now, even though that might be what we personally think would be better. But the God who says, I've got a bigger plan than that which is to get you to the new heavens and the new earth, to be with Jesus forever. And that power we can trust is at work in us to get us there, even through 
the things we experience now that make things painful and difficult. So, what have we seen as we finish? We need to get the logic. God is in control, totally in control. So don't pray less, pray more. That's the logic. To know this God better, to know the hope, to know the riches, to know how valuable we are to him, in other words, to know his power. So when you don't quite know what to pray for someone, let me encourage you to pray this, to pray this prayer for them. I'd love you to pray this for me over the next few weeks, and I'll pray it for you as well. Let's pray now. So, Father God, we want to use these words that you've given us in your word through the Apostle Paul to pray as he did. We we, we ask that you, our glorious Father, the God of Jesus Christ, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation because we want to know you better. We pray that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we might know the hope that you've called us to. That we might have our eyes fixed on that day when Jesus will return, when everything will be made right, when the joys and sorrows of this present age will, will, will pass away and we will be face to face with Jesus. And so, would you then help us to know to the riches of your glorious inheritance in your holy people and therefore how valuable we are to you to believe that in the face of all that the world around us is saying about meaning and purpose and value. And then to know your incomparably great power for us who believe. That power that took Jesus to the cross and then raised him from the dead. Seated him in the heavenly realms. That power that is now at work in your people, the body of Christ. Make us people of prayer. And again, if we're yet to put our trust in Jesus, help us simply to reach out to you in prayer to say, I want to know you, Father God, through Jesus, whom you sent into the world. To turn from a life without God to, to trusting in him for ourselves. Father God, please would you enable us to do that even for the first time. And would you enable us then to be people of prayer in our walk with you day by day as individuals and in our walk with you as a church to be praying these kinds of things for one another. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.